Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We're in the book of Matthew, though, tonight. Just a short little Bible study for us this evening. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at um, the idea here tonight of moved with compassion and looking at Jesus uh, and his response to what was going on uh, in Israel at the time there. This is early on in his ministry. Uh, and so we're going to be picking up reading there. First of all, let's join together Matthew 9, 35. And it says this, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let me pray again. Lord, we thank you for this time again. I'm just asking now that as we focus our hearts on your word, God, that you would uh, help us to see the truths, Lord, from your word, uh, God, and give me the words to say uh, this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's this passage here, and it's kind of concluding and ending something uh, that's kind of been happening. We'll get into that in just a minute and moving into the next uh, program uh, that Jesus has, or the next portion where he's going to actually send his disciples out, uh, beginning in chapter 10. And again, we'll look at that in just a moment. Uh, but Jesus had a great desire to minister to people, and we can see that here just in that very first verse, that he's going through villages and cities, he's going around, and he is teaching and preaching uh, everywhere that he can. Um, but he's looking around as he's traveling and realizing there's a great number of people that have not heard yet, or not reached yet, or, or, or are still... Uh, unable to uh, understand or even hear the message, and it moves him with great compassion. We'll talk about what that means in a moment as well. And it's a great reminder for us of the mission that we're called to uh, as uh, Christians and the mission the church actually has in the world and what we're supposed to do. But it's also sort of an indictment uh, uh, on us as well, or at least on some leaders, or at least on some Christians as well, as to whether or not we're uh, fulfilling that uh, calling in our life. And so we look at both of those things tonight. Are we moved with compassion in the same way that Jesus was? And are we seeing people around us the way that Jesus sees the people around us? And it was that compassion that caused him uh, to go out and to make sure and to do the things that he did in ministry. Uh, and seeing the people uh, as sheep going astray with no clear leader. Uh, ultimately, souls headed the wrong way in life. And that was a very important uh, uh, way for, for us to look at that. And so the question, I guess, part of that is with tonight, or as we're called to take the message as well, are we also moved with compassion by those around us? Are we also uh, uh, looking at others in that same way? So we're going to kind of look at some different things tonight as we go through these four verses. The first thing I'm going to look at tonight is Jesus' ministry. 
Okay, Jesus' ministry. And he had two things here that we see within verse 35 is where we're going to begin. And he talk is, is showing his teaching ministry and also his healing ministry. So looking back at 935 again, Jesus went about all the cities and village, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice right there in the very beginning of the verse, it's showing us that Jesus is going to all the cities and the villages. And just by implication there, we're seeing that Jesus is going to places where there's a large population, but he's also going to places where there could be a small population as well. He's not skipping over anybody. He's moving through the cities and the villages, not just the populated places. That's a very important thing for us to realize and understand, because there is no place, there is no area uh, where the gospel is not needed. And it's not a message for one person or another or a particular group of people or not another. It's a message for everyone. And so he's going there in that, in that uh, way and making sure to hit all of these places. I want you to go with me back to uh, Matthew 4 for just a minute because I want you to see uh, what is happening in the book as a whole. Okay, in the book as a whole. In Matthew chapter number 4, and in verse number 23, we see a similar passage to Matthew 9.35. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. This verse is very similar to Matthew 9.35. And this whole section, beginning with Matthew 4.23 and going all the way to Matthew 9.35, is like one block of things that Jesus did. Many scholars and people that are way smarter than I have suggested that within this passage, what we see is Jesus had in Galilee, okay, where he began the ministry, uh, maybe a circuit or a regular route that he went around uh, multiple times, maybe once, maybe twice. And that was the way that things were done um, even early in our American history. We had preachers uh, who would travel around a circuit, so to speak, and they didn't have like one church only that they were the pastor of. They had many. Um, right here in North Carolina, we had one. It was a Methodist pastor. His name was um, Francis Marion. Or Fran, Fran, anyway, I believe that's what his name was. But, but he traveled up and down the Appalachian Mountains uh, and, and to multiple different churches within the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Appalachian Mountains, North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, had a regular circuit. You can actually still go and walk on the trail. It's a trail there uh, in the Appalachian Mountains that you can go on uh, and see different things that he went. There's a little book we had. We went on the trail and, and you saw different little things along the way. The remnants of a house. It was just a chimney, of course, because we're talking 1700s America, 1600s, late 1600s, 1700s America. But there were things along the way. But there's a regular circuit. Jesus probably had a regular circuit as well that he went through on several, uh, just in a, maybe multiple times. And that's what it's blocking off this whole section here of the book of Matthew, saying all of these things he's teaching in Galilee and he's going through this regular circuit. He's teaching in the synagogues. Notice that first. He's going there and teaching in their synagogues. He's taking the message uh, to the people that need to hear it. But he's also preaching about the kingdom. Now, Matthew's goal in his gospel is to present Jesus Christ as the king, as the Messiah, as the promised one. That's why he begins in Matthew 1 telling us all of the genealogy. And he goes back to Abraham. He doesn't worry about going all the way back to Adam like, like Luke's gospel does. 
It just goes back to Abraham to show that this is the Messiah, and he's a son of Abraham, and he's from the tribe of Judah, and he's in the right king because David is one of his ancestors. He's in the right path. And so he's doing all of these things to announce the kingdom and that the Messiah has come. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's healing the sick. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom because he is letting people know that the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. He is the Messiah. And Matthew gospel is made and is organized in that way to show us that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew has more references to the Old Testament prophecies than any other gospel. And so he's trying to show that. He's announcing that the kingdom could be had. Okay, uh, in Matthew four seventeen, we're going to read that in just a minute. But uh, Jesus begins to preach, repent, just as John the Baptist had done as well. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus does the same thing. He's showing himself to be the Messiah. He's showing that he is the kingdom, that the kingdom could be had. Okay, and he's teaching what conditions were necessary in order to be in the kingdom. He's teaching, first of all, repentance, as I've already read this, but I'll read it again. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So repentance is a characteristic of the kingdom that Jesus is preaching as he's going on this circuit, as he's going through the synagogues and villages and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repentance is one of the necessary uh, characteristics of the kingdom. But he also is preaching righteousness. That's another characteristic of the kingdom. Matthew 5.20 says this, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And realizing again that Matthew 5.20 is within this block of space between 4.23 and 9.35 that Jesus is preaching uh, as he's traveling through this circuit in Galilee. Righteousness is a characteristic of the kingdom, and he is preaching that. He's preaching childlike faith is a characteristic of the kingdom in Matthew 18 and verse number 3 says this, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Preaching childlike faith. But he's also teaching about being born again. A very important uh, point. And in fact, a point that would only make the other ones actually applicable and actually uh, being able to be fulfilled. Being born again, John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again is the most important thing. Without that, we are apart. We are dead in our sins. We are uh, not alive spiritually. And the righteousness and the repentance and the childlike faith uh, are, are uh, results of being born again, coming to God in repentance and asking forgiveness of sins, being born again, and then going on and more uh, uh, growing in our faith. And Jesus is teaching the conditions there. So he's going, first of all, in his teaching ministry on this regular circuit. But he's not just teaching, he's also healing, Jesus' healing. That was also part of Jesus' mission uh, in this world. And we see the rest of that uh, at the end of 935, where it says, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and then it says towards the very end, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. As he's coming there, uh, he is healing those things. Go back to Matthew chapter 4 again, if you have not, uh, if you've left there. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 24 this time. Verse 24, because we see ultimately a more detailed list of the kinds of things that Jesus was healing. 
In Matthew 4, 24, And his fame went through all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. A much more detailed list, specific things that Jesus is healing, and more even than that. He's going around healing. So he's teaching the conditions and the characteristics of those that are going to enter the kingdom. But he's also teaching that within the kingdom what can be had or what the, what the, um, what the kingdom was going to be like. What it was going to be composed of. It was going to be composed of people who no longer had these diseases. Now, these diseases are physical, and there's a real healing and a real and true physical healing from that. But the biggest disease that every person has in their life is the disease of sin, the sickness of sin in their life. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. Having you flip around in the book of Matthew a little bit tonight. We have some other passages we're going to be looking at here in a minute as well. But Matthew 9 and verse 33. Some diseases were spiritual. Okay, in our main chapter tonight, just a few verses before our text, and it says this, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. Back to verse 32, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. Okay, and this is using the old version, the old definition of dumb, of course, which means they're unable to speak. Literally, the spiritual sickness, the possession of this man was causing him to be unable to speak. That's how much he was possessed by this evil force, this demon, that he was not even allowed to speak with his own voice. Some diseases were spiritual, and as he, and as he is going through, he is ultimately healing from that. Now, here's the thing. These are real physical diseases that they were healed from. But within our life, sin causes us to be lame, blind, and sick before Christ. We're lame in that we don't have any righteousness to offer to God. We're blind in that we cannot see the spiritual things before Christ saves us. We're unable to receive them. The Bible tells us that the unsaved person is unable to receive the spiritual things. Sick with sin, he healed all diseases to show that the kingdom would be a place where disease would not be, and where all would be healed and that there would be no disease. Ultimately, that there would be no uh, spiritual disease in the kingdom. Look at Luke 4.18. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 18. We're going to cross-reference back to the Old Testament passage that this comes from as well in just a minute. This will be a familiar portion of Scripture, but this is Jesus proclaiming why He came and teaching about the kingdom and why He was there. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 says this, Jesus, Jesus, reading from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We're going to go there in just a minute to Isaiah, if you want to begin turning Isaiah 61, verse number 1. But Jesus told, why is he here? And he read on purpose that portion of the Isaiah scroll. Look what he is doing, the Messiah. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's preaching deliverance. Okay? He's recovering the sight of the blind. He's setting liberty those that are bruised. He is preaching those things and teaching and showing the conditions which can be had in the kingdom. Isaiah 61 and verse number 1, if you'll turn there. Because Jesus purposely stopped in the middle of a verse. Let me get there myself. Isaiah 61 and verse number 1. See what this uh, here sounds the same. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now here it comes. Watch this. He didn't say this in Luke. And the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. He left that part out. He stopped in the middle of what we call Isaiah 61 2. I don't know that the 61 and the number 2 would have been in the Isaiah scroll that he would have read at that time. That's added later on. But that's where he stopped in the middle of that. Because it wasn't time for that second coming yet. It wasn't time for the events of the book of Revelation yet. It wasn't time for all those things to be established, but it was time for the kingdom to come. And Jesus was announcing that and preaching and teaching those things as he traveled through his circuit, through his route. And those are the things that he was going through. But notice that was his mission. And his purpose was to be there and to go and to preach the gospel. It's the same mission that we have today to preach the gospel, to teach others about it, to make disciples of all nations. As we see in the end of the book of Matthew, that is the commission that was given to Christians as they go. And that was Jesus' mission. Let's look at the next thing tonight, Jesus' motivation. Back in our main text Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. Now, we saw Jesus' ministry, teaching and healing. We saw the different things that he was doing. But now we see Jesus' motivation, Matthew 9 and verse number 36. And it says this, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. This is a very important thing here because we begin to see Jesus' compassion on the people. Jesus' compassion on the people. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, this word here that we have translated, and however it is that you have a different version perhaps in front of you than King James, but moved with compassion. And what that phrase and what that word compassion actually means, it's more than just a passing feeling. Have you ever had a passing feeling? I've had a passing feeling, let's be honest. When you go to a Christian music concert and they pass out those little forms that have somebody in a foreign country that just needs, you know, some money each day to help them, they give those Compassion International. And I'm not talking bad about those stuff. I think it's a great idea if you do it. We support a Moldova child and it's one of the greatest things that we do. And I'm not saying that to say, look at me, I'm so cool. I'm just, it's one of the greatest things we do. We have compassion on those around us, you know, and they, they give out these things. Or you may watch a commercial on TV about some, some place that needs some help, and you have this feeling in you, but then the next commercial comes on, and it's kind of over. It's not that kind of feeling. It's not that kind of move with compassion that Jesus is moved with compassion. It's more than just that. It is a deep feeling of pity that causes us to act that moment and to solve something and to do something about the feeling that we have. We all have those passing feelings from time. This is a feeling that says it's so deep it causes a reaction in us to actually go out and take charge of doing something. I, I, I got this quote here. This is a Charles Spurgeon quote, but it really kind of illustrates this even more. It says the original word in the Greek here, the original word uh, is a very remarkable one. It's not found in classic Greek. It's not found in the Septuagint. That's, that was the um, Hebrew translation. They translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek uh, at one time, Septuagint. It's not found in classic Greek. 
The fact is it was a word coined by the evangelists themselves. They did not find one in the whole Greek language that suited their purpose, and therefore they had to make one. Charles Spurgeon said that. Here's the thing about this word that we just say moved with compassion, this phrase or whatever. It was such a great and deep longing in Jesus' heart to reach the people and to minister to them that they didn't even have a word for it in the Greek. And Greek has one of the most descriptive languages from the old time. They have four different words for the word love. You know that? We say love like I love pizza and I love my wife. And I say that and I do love pizza and I do love my wife, but I don't love pizza the same way that I love Megan. That's for sure. Okay. And and the point there is they have different words for that. They couldn't even have a word. They had to create a word in order to show how deep with compassion Jesus was moved in his heart. And Jesus saw the people everywhere that he went. We talked about that already back in 935. He went to the cities and he went to the villages and he saw the great need that was there. Now here's a moment we can take just a minute and think about this in a broad sense. Okay? Looking, Looking at a website this afternoon, there are approximately 17,000 people groups in the world. That means a group of people, common language, common uh, ancestry, common culture, whatever. 17,000 people groups, okay? Of the 17,000 people groups, there's about 7,000, a little bit over 7,000 people groups that have never, ever, think about this, never, ever heard the name of Jesus. Not even once. They don't have the ability to read the Bible because they don't have one in their language because nobody knows their language except for them. There's a possibility that some of them have never even been uh, spoken to by a person outside of their little area. Okay, It's hard for us sometimes to imagine that and think about that, but some places in South America, some of the islands in the Pacific, some places in Africa perhaps or deep within uh, uh, Asia between the Middle East and China, some of those countries in there have people groups that have absolutely no gospel witness whatsoever. And so in a very broad sense, there are a lot of people out there that have never even heard it even one time. And whether or not that moves us to compassion or not, and whether or not that's there, that's 42% of the population of the world, by the way, has never heard of Jesus even one time. But on a local area as well, when we go out to the people around us, we interact with people every day. We know them better. How many of the people around us have not been in church in a while, not because of coronavirus? Or how many people around us got hurt at a church and haven't been back in the doors of any church in a long time? How many people around us, and maybe in a smaller area, it's not as many, but there are a lot of people around us even here that need to hear the gospel, that need to know who Jesus is, that need to see that. We need to look at people in that same way, moved with compassion on the people around us. Move with compassion on the people around us, as Jesus would. His view was to see people as they were, how they truly are. Not as a person who, you know, is just like us and on their way to do this and they're busy and I'm busy and we can't. But seeing them as a soul in need. Do you know that all people have an eternal soul? Everybody everywhere has an eternal soul. 
And everybody in the world is going to live forever somewhere. It's the somewhere that's the scary part. Because it could be that that person is going to live forever in hell. All people are created in God's image. All people are going to spend eternity somewhere. And that's what Jesus did. When he was moved with compassion, he's looking at people in that way. A person created in the image of God that has an eternal soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And our responsibility is to go to them and to tell them about the gospel message so that they more fully understand and hopefully will get saved. So he has compassion on the people. But he also has compassion on their position. Look again at Mark, or excuse me, Mark, Matthew 9.36. It says this, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And here's why. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Three specific and particular reasons that Jesus is moved with compassion on them. First of all, they fainted. They fainted. What does that mean? It means they're growing weary in what they're doing. They're enfeebled. The Greek word there, look at this, uh, enfeebled or made weak through exhaustion. Have you ever just had to do something and by the end of the day you're just so exhausted? Has anyone, don't answer that out loud. I won't ask that question. Never mind. Enfeebled by exhaustion, though. The Pharisees laid heavy burdens on the people. Um, turn over to Matthew 23, verse 1 through 4. Matthew 23. While you're turning there, I'm going to read Luke 11:46. I may hang on to that one. I'll, I'll hang on to that one. But Luke, or Matthew 23, verse number 1. Matthew 23, verse number 1. Now, at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the land, have rejected Jesus' offer of the kingdom, and so he's just condemning them and telling them what's going on. He says in 23, verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Jesus is not advocating violent overthrow or uh, outright rebellion against authority, but he is saying, don't do after their works. In Luke eleven forty six, he said this, and he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens, grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Parallel passage to what we just read right there. The Pharisees of the day were the spiritual leaders. They're supposed to be the shepherds. They weren't. The people fainted and were weary and were enfeebled by exhaustion because they had a legalistic system of rules. Do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that that they had to try to fulfill. And the Pharisees put extra stuff and more stuff and increasing burdens on them that they could not fulfill, they could not do. And they changed completely what the message of the, uh, of the gospel is or what the message of the Old Testament was by adding so many legalistic things to them. And they could not do it. They were weary spiritually with it. They fainted. That's the first thing. The second thing that Jesus said they fan, or that, that moved him to compassion was that they were uh, uh, scattered abroad. And that word has the idea of set down without care. Have you ever been just tired? You walk in, you've got groceries, you just kind of plop them down and go, you know, because you don't even want to put them away at that moment. You're just tired. You put them down. Set down without care, not paying attention. Thrown down is another word. Thrown down. 
that could be scattered abroad. Now this is borrowed. I'm just going to read this. You don't have to turn there. But it's borrowed from 1 Kings 22:17, where it says this, And he said, I saw all Israel. This is a, the prophet speaking to Ahab and Jehoshaphat. I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Now that part of the scripture is whenever Ahab and Jehoshaphat are getting together, they're going to go and fight a battle. And, and, and Ahab has all these false prophets that are like, yeah, go for it. Go fight the battle. God's going to give you the victory. Way to go, you know. And Jehoshaphat says, nah, I don't, really, I don't really believe these guys. They're not prophets of the Lord. And he gets a real prophet. And the real prophet says, no, no, you're not going to have success. And Ahab gets upset. Oh, yeah, I told you this guy was always going to, he always tells me bad stuff. He never says anything good about me or what I want to do. It's because he was a real prophet of the Lord. He wasn't just someone who's saying whatever Ahab wanted him to hear. He was a real prophet. At the end of the day, though, what happened? Ahab was killed. Pastor Jason actually mentioned this in a, in a message. I think it was last week or the week before. It was that random archer. God was in control, but he pulled back his bow and let it go, and it found its mark in Ahab. Because that day, Ahab was killed. Israel was defeated, and guess what? Israel was scattered. They were scattered abroad because they were in the middle of a battle. They had no leader. They had no one to tell them what to do, and they ran everywhere they could. They were scattered abroad. They were scattered by a lack of leadership. The third thing that moved Jesus compared, they fainted. They're scattered abroad in the same way that they were scattered at the end of a battle. Sheep having no shepherd. Sheep having no shepherd. Now, as we mentioned just a minute ago, and as we're thinking about this, they did have the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the high priest. So they had people there, but they weren't real shepherds. They had religious leaders, but they did not have shepherds. They had people that were willing, as we read earlier, to, uh, that, that were willing to add legalism to their life and add extra rules that they had to follow and add burdens. But they didn't have real religious leaders. There's a lot of that today. I was, I was talking with one of our church members this week about, about well, different places, and some, some of them uh, have this same thing. There's, there's an area we support. It's in Moldova, but, but uh, if you go to the Greek Orthodox Church there, it says, uh, you know, perform this service, this is how much money it costs. Perform this service for you, this is how much money it costs. Wouldn't you love that if Pastor Jason and I came to your house and on the way out we left a bill for you? <laughs> came to your house today. No, see, we don't do that. That's because that's not the motivation that Pastor Jason and I have for caring for, for you and visiting in your home. That's not the motivation. That's the motivation of these religious leaders. What can they get out of it? They had no shepherd at all. Here's the lesson we can learn from this. Having a bad shepherd is like having no shepherd at all. That's hard right there. we got a little bit of time. Go to Ezra 34. Ezekiel, excuse me. I should have put more than just EZ. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. That's a really bad indictment on the religious leaders of this day. But there are people today that have the same motivation. What can I get out of them? Read, listen to this, Ezekiel 34, 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? 
You eat the fat and you clothe you with wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. Jeremiah 23, go there as well. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 1. What Jesus is doing in all this, by the way, he's about to I'm get a little bit ahead of myself here, but that's okay. What Jesus is doing in all this is he is identifying himself, first of all, as the good shepherd. He hasn't said it in the same way yet. He's identifying himself as that. He's saying these are the, these are, uh, the not good shepherds. You're going to be different. I'm getting a little bit ahead of it, but you're going to be different, disciples, and I'm going to be different. We're not going to be these false prophets, these false shepherds. Jeremiah 23, 1 through 4, Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Now here's the thing. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit you upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whether I've driven them, and bring them again to their folds. And they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Jesus is going to come and fulfill this. Now there's an ultimate fulfilling of this later on in the millennial kingdom, which what Jesus was offering to them at this time, put on hold, will happen again in the future. But what he's saying right here is that I'm going to do this. And it was immediately fulfilled when Jesus came and said, I'm the good shepherd. There was an immediate fulfillment of this when Jesus was there. There'll be a future fulfillment of Jeremiah 23, 1 through 4 as well. Days renewed, Israel gathered again, shepherds that will feed. It was rejected that time, but it will come again. So Jesus was moved with compassion over these uh, instances. Compassion on the people because they had never heard or they were unable to understand or they needed to be reached with the gospel still. And he went to all the places. And he's moved with compassion about their situation. Finally tonight, Jesus' proclamation and prayer. Back in our main text, 937 to 38, Jesus' proclamation and prayer. It says in verse number 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plenty. This again is connecting some things together. The disciples were not quite understanding at this time, but looking back on it now, we can say when the kingdom come, there will be a great harvest at that time as well. That means there'll be a lot of people saved immediately. Normally what happens, right? You plant something and you have to wait some months before you actually see the fruit of that coming out, the little tiny bud and the little tiny plant, and then it grows into a bigger, bigger plant, right? There's some time between the planting and the harvest. When Jesus is coming in the kingdom, it's all together at one time. And they didn't understand that. That's why Jesus is here saying this. The harvest is plenteous. There are people that are ready. But the laborers are few. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Look over in John chapter 4 for just a minute. Because Jesus has a similar uh, phrase that he says here in John chapter 4. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus is talking about and what, what, is, what is happening here with the harvest being plenteous. In John chapter 4 is Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. And just after the Samaritan woman has left and has gone back to the village to tell the people about it, we see this portion here. I'm going to begin reading. Let's see, I've got 35. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 28. Verse 28, John 4 and 28. 
And he's spoken to her. So this is what happened. The woman then left her water pot. She's so excited about hearing the gospel from message from Jesus. She left her water pot and went her way into the city. And he saith, and saith unto the men, this is her talking, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Then they went out of the city and they came unto him. Verse 30 is very important. They went out of the city and came unto him. And then we're going to skip down to verse 35. And Jesus is speaking. I'll begin reading in verse 34, actually. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. And he says, Say ye not, there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Remember back in verse number 30. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, in my, in my imagination and thinking here, and I've heard other people say this too, I almost want to say that at the very moment that Jesus is saying, say you not there's four months, look and the harvest is there, I can imagine the people from the village running up to see what this woman's talking about. At that very moment, here come the people, like what is this woman talking about? She's crazy. She was not, she was not the woman that people wanted to, to talk to anyway. She had to come in the middle of the day, remember, to get water because of her living situation. But they're coming up to the well at that moment. And he says, See the harvest? It's ready right now. Talking about the people that are coming up to him. We've been watching. Anybody been watching that Chosen? Have you seen that Chosen? It's really good. It's really good. It's, it's a little bit more uh, holy imagination. Uh, <laughs> but it's the guy that is the main person in charge of it. Remember the Left Behind series that was out back in the 90s? Left Behind and Jerry Jenkins and, uh, and Tim LaHaye. Jerry Jenkins' son, Dallas Jenkins, is the one who is the main person that's making these TV shows. But he's, he's making the gospel story into about 30-minute to 40-minute TV show segments. And the last one the other night from season one was this episode right here. And I kept wanting the people to come out. Now, they, this is where the holy imagination comes in because they actually walked into the village. Jesus and the disciples walked into the village to, to minister instead of the people coming out. So I was a little disappointed. But that's what I see with that there, just this idea of them coming out ready for the harvest. If you get an opportunity, you should try to watch The Chosen, by the way. It's really good. It's a really good TV show. Anyway, but the laborers are few. Now, this is a reference, first of all, back to what Jesus just said before, okay, or what we just saw in 936. Getting back into our text, back in 936, okay, they didn't have shepherds. So there is a part of this right here that we see in, in Jesus' response saying the laborers are few that does refer back to the fact that there were no shepherds. There was nobody teaching. There was no good shepherds that were teaching them. Okay, that is a part of it for sure, that Jesus is, is giving that indictment about the Pharisees not being good shepherds. But ultimately, uh, let's see, I've lost my quote. Pretenders were many, but real laborers in the harvest were few. Man-made ministers are useless. Still the fields are encumbered with gentlemen who cannot use the sickle. Still the real ingatherers are few and far between. Where are the instructive soul-winning ministries? Charles Spurgeon said that as well. But the idea there, there is a part of that verse that's saying, hey, there's no shepherds. But here's the other part of it as well. Praying that more people would go. There's not as many people going out as should be going out. It's easy for us to become distracted by our daily routines, I think. It's easy for us to go about our life and go about our day and, and think about those things. I, I do that a lot myself. It's, it's a very easy routine for us to fall into. 
We have to be careful about though, because there are some chance encounters that we have that are not chance, they're not just happenstance. It's God has put something in our path on certain days sometimes. Some things happen and we think, man, I wish I didn't have a flat tire today, or you kind of feel like maybe I should pull over and help that person with a flat tire. Or maybe you're sitting in line at the, I know you're six feet away now, but you're standing in line and you just feel like God's trying to prompt you to say something to the person behind you, you know, other than back up, it's COVID season, right? <laughs> no, but you know, there's that, there's that opportunity. I think all of us would say, hey, you know, I felt like that before. I've been somewhere and God has just impressed on me that I should say something to this person. There's opportunities all around us. Sometimes we're afraid or we feel inadequate. And I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. In verse 38, he says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want to give you some encouragement today. Jesus is connecting himself to the Lord of the harvest. And he's the one that gives us the enabling to do that. We may feel afraid. We don't have to have theology degrees and deep-seated knowledge and all this stuff. And st- God gives us what we need right when we need it. He's the Lord of the harvest. John 14 and 15 one, excuse me, I'm the vine and my father is the husbandman. He's the one who's in charge of it. And he gives us what to say. We don't have to be afraid. He enables us to go out and do the work of the harvest. Notice this lastly here in verse 38. We'll, we'll conclude with this. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now here's the thing. I'm kind of a doer, right? If I see something, I got to fix it. Megan will tell you that. Sometimes I'm like Elkanah, and I speak before I should, right? (laughs) We heard from Pastor Jason's message this morning. But I want to fix things. Some of you are probably the same way. You want to fix it. Jesus said, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers. His first response was prayer. Quickly look at Luke chapter 6. We'll we'll wrap it up here pretty quickly. But Luke chapter 6, quickly look there. In verse number 12 and 13, Luke 6, 12, 13, it's kind of a parallel passage in both of these situations. He's going to be sending out some disciples and calling them by name, okay? Um, we're not going to read it in Luke tonight or in Matthew, but if you did, you would see it. Luke, 12, uh, Luke 6, 12, and it came to pass in those days he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve also, he named apostles. And then it talks about the 12 ones there. Go back to Matthew number 10, Matthew chapter 10. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest. And then Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. In both cases, in a similar thing, and then he goes on to name them. Matthew begins naming them in verse number 2, who are the disciples. The first thing that Jesus did was pray. In Luke, he prayed. In Matthew, he, pray, he said to pray, and he's going to pray. So here's what we have for us. Sometimes we want to fix what's going on, but we don't always begin with prayer. And just in preparation for that, that's one of the things that, that David Platt has brought out in some of the sermons and messages that he has said. We don't always stop and take time to pray first. We just want to go out and do it. But that's what Jesus did. Pray about it. Pray about the people around you. Pray about the people that you encounter every day. Pray about the people that you may see that day that you don't even know. Pray about encounters that you may have that you're not even aware of yet. Those those encounters that seem to be chance. Those encounters that seem to be, well, just happened that way. Or I just so happened to be here at that particular moment. Because that may be God putting someone in your path. 
And notice this finally, and we'll be done. Send forth is a very, uh, in English, is a very kind of a send forth and send them out and go and, you know. The actual Greek here is like thrust, like push. Get out there and do the work. I thought about it. Did did anyone in here, don't raise your hand, but did you you learn how to swim because your parents like pushed you in a deep hole? (laughs) Thrust you out. Like that's what I think. Like thrust you out is what the Greek is actually saying. Pushing them out. But begin with prayer. God sends us out forcefully sometimes. But if we pray, be ready to be the one that is called to go out as well. If you begin praying for those things, be looking as well. If you pray, God, show me opportunities today that I can witness to somebody, then have your spiritual eyes open that day too and be ready for that as well. Pray for those things. Jesus moved with compassion on the people around him, preaching, teaching everywhere he went, realizing the great need that was there. Any questions or comments this evening?